All right. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, but this has been one of those days. And, uh, and it, it, it's just started that way. But here's the good news. Does the, the oddness of the day take away anything from us? Not one iota. It doesn't take any of the love of God. It doesn't diminish it in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I'm actually thankful for it because it has caused me to stop and remember that we are woefully inadequate to be perfect. We are woefully inadequate to get it all right. We are woefully inadequate to be able to make it all work. And that uh, the Lord is still gracious and good. And uh, we're never going to get it perfect. So if you, st- if you just want to come to maybe hope to see it be perfect, it'll be from now to eternity. We're not going to get it perfect. But the great news is that our God reigns. And he loves us. And we are reminded of that again this morning. And sometimes even in the middle of our mistakes or things not going well, I am most reminded of that. And so I'm actually thankful for it. I don't know that Josh is, the tuning of the guitar thing. Uh, and so, anyway, but we're continuing our journey through the, um, the Church's Called to Be series, and this is the last uh, couplet, and we've looked at God, who was generous to us and loving us in the first place, though we were his enemies. He granted us salvation and to be an heir to all of the inheritance of the spiritual things, and amen, that he could be so generous to us. And he continues to be generous, doesn't he? Like, he, it is not like he said, all right, I'll get you guys to a certain point, but then you take it from here. I'm going to leave you on your own. Did he leave us alone? No, in, in great grace, he's given us the Holy Spirit that we're going to talk about here this morning um, in, in a particular and unique way. Then we looked at the fact that we, the church, are also, because of God's generosity, that we too are called to be generous. And it's not just about money. It's about time. It's about love. It's about all of those things. And yes, generosity is, is something that if we were to be accused of that, that'd be a good thing, wouldn't it? That people would say when they hear of Christ Community Church that they could say, hey, that's the generous church. Um, and so often I, I worry that maybe we don't get more to work with because what we're working with, we're not doing what we ought to be doing with it. And so I, I, would, I would hope and pray that we would be a church that would be more concerned about the mission and being generous to see things going forward than necessarily making sure that we have the best of the best and that we're the nicest looking church, right? And so um, then we looked at how Jesus himself was missional. He came to us. How much distance did we cover to him? Not one iota just to keep that term going, right? And so, and so we didn't cover any distance, and if we thought that we did, that is the exact amount and distance by which we would love him less because we would love ourselves in that. And the more that we love ourselves, the more dangerous things become in that regard, right? Um, and, and so Jesus covered the entire distance that we were separated from God the Father. He was the sent one the missional one. And then we looked at how his example was to also be the church's example, is that we were to be the instrument that was left uh, to, to continue his work and to do even greater than he did. That's what he promised, right? And so there are times when I would love for us to be able to look and see that we're doing even greater than he did because of us just being generous and missional. And so we are called not to just keep a fortress until he returns, We're not called to take our talent and bury it in the backyard and give it back to him when he shows up. No, we are called to spend it all, right? And so in being called to spend it all and be spent, as Paul would say, he would say, I am an offering completely and utterly poured out. 
I would love that that would be what people would say of Christ Community Church, is they would say, those folks, they're generous, and man, they, they know no limit, no boundary for trying to reach others for the gospel because they recognize the gravity of the situation. Amen? What a great accusation um, for us. And this week, we, uh, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit, and we're going to look at how the Holy Spirit prays for us, how the Holy Spirit was given uh, one of his unique functions was to utter what we can't utter. And I don't know about you, but there have been many a precipice on which I've stood where I had no words. And I couldn't even make the sound, it felt like. You ever been there where you just, as you stood there and you knew you needed to pray, you knew you wanted to pray, you knew that it was probably the right place to go, but as you tried to make the sound come out, nothing would come. And there was a groaning deep in your spirit. Not, not anything that you heard, but that was felt deep all the way to, you, to your core. And the Lord promises, and God has promised, that the Spirit in those moments is uttering what you couldn't utter before the very throne of God. And why? So that all things would work to the good of those who love Him. Amen? And so we're going to look at that in a little more detail here this morning, and then we're going to look at next week, which will close out the series, um, that the church is called to pray. So I, there's a lot of things that churches can be accused of. They can be accused of being weird. They can be accused of being mean. They can be accused of, of being way too um, concerned about the minors and not the majors. I don't want to be accused of any of those things. And I'm not the man to stand in the pulpit for you to be accused of those things. What I want to be accused of is generosity. I want to be accused of missionality. And I want to be accused of being a praying church. That we understand and are dependent upon all that God has for us, recognizing we can do none of it in our own strength. Amen? All right. So, the thing that I want you to get this morning, here's the main idea. Is that the Holy Spirit intercedes in prayer on behalf of the saints as evidence of God's sovereignty and faithfulness to bring to glorious fulfillment the redemptive work that he began. Now, I probably could have made that a whole lot shorter, but I just didn't know what to cut out, right? I mean, so Andy Stanley would say, that's way too long. Nobody's going to remember that, but that's why it's in your bulletin, so you can go back and refer to it. And I still think Andy's right, by the way, but I just didn't, I couldn't make it happen. So the Holy Spirit intercedes in prayer on behalf of the saints as evidence of God's sovereignty and faithfulness to bring to glorious fulfillment the redemptive work that he began. That's really important. So let me ask you a question straight away. What, what comes to your mind when the topic of prayer comes up? Like, when, when, when you, you've now heard we're going to get two sermons on prayer, and some of you are already, the men are probably already slightly concerned because I've thrown down the gauntlet and said the women have a prayer meeting, but there's the other half of the coin ain't doing so hot in this. Um, and so, so what, do you, what do you think? Are you... Are you immediately encouraged that we're fixing to hear about prayer? Is part of your spirit groaning already thinking, oh, we're just going to get hammered at about something that we know we're not doing very well. Okay, I got it. We get it. We're not doing it like we ought to. Blah, blah, blah. Let's move on. Let's move on to Joel or Amos or something fun. And so, uh, so I'm with you. I mean, I, I'm, I'm with you in the sense that this, this is the one place where I feel the absolute weakest all the time. I, and, and I feel utterly inadequate, and I've tried to read books on it, and I've, I've, I've tried to think it through, and I know that pastorally um, that it is the most critical thing that I could possibly do for you and for me. Um, and, and so know this, I'm trying, but I am limping. And uh, most days it, it's ugly. 
And, it's, and I know most days for you, it's probably ugly. And some of you are gifted, and you're phenomenal, and you're prayer warriors, and it's a unique gift for you. And God bless you, and I'm thank you that you, I thank you that you're in our midst because we need you. And the rest of us are just going to have to try to, it's not an excuse. We need to continue to strive in this, right? And every year, I think we'll look up and notice that we've made it an inch further and an inch further because of the ongoing work of, of God's grace in our sanctification. But even more than that, I think we can make it even farther based on this morning's truth. Listen at, 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 what, um, at what Leon Morris says. He says, it is easy to become discouraged in our praying. For we are conscious that we do it so badly. Now this is Leon Morris. Anybody know who Leon Morris is? He's like a super Christian. He's written tons of commentaries. He's an amazing expositor of the gospel. And if Leon Morris is saying this confessionally, then there's part of me that thinks, I'm in trouble. Uh, and so he goes on to say, but here, listen to this, this is the wonderful encouragement, but here too, we are not left to our own devices. The Spirit intercedes for us. Did you catch that? That even in the thing that you think you're the absolute worst at and that oftentimes probably brings you the greatest discouragement in all of your Christian walk, beautifully, yet again, God intercedes and grants us exactly what we need for that not to cripple us. He gives us the Spirit. Now, we're going to look at Romans 8. This is a tough set of verses. Um, and we, uh, we're not going to be able to exhaust them in toto, um, but we're going to look at verses uh, 26 through, tw through 30, but let's put this in perspective. Um, Josh, are you going to sneak up on me? What's happening? Uh -oh, it makes me nervous. Um, so, so here's the thing. In Romans chapter 8, okay, let me pause for just a second. I sound like I am in a funnel. Do you guys does it sound like I'm in a funnel? Hey, Philip, can you, somebody help me out here. Fix, fix the sound. I feel like I'm in a funnel here. It sounds really not good. Um, we'll get it fixed, uh, so I'm going to let him do his magic. Thank you. Hey, that's perfect. You did a great job. All right. Um, does that sound better? All right. I don't want it to be a distraction. So here we go. Romans chapter 8 is critical. It's an absolute critical chapter, and it's critical that we recognize where it's at within the letter. Right? So here Paul has had to deliver some pretty heavy theological blows to the Roman church because the Gentiles who had taken the church over were kind of given the Jews some static about the fact that they had been kicked out uh, and that they had now returned thinking they could take back over what was theirs. And there's all this tension kind of going on between the, the Jews and the Gentiles, which is what you really get into in, in chapters 9 through 11. But 8 stands as this beautiful um, uh, Ebenezer to encouragement to the sovereignty and the salvation and the beauty of God. So when you, if you ever read Romans chapter 8 or ever study it, keep that in mind that it is, it is standing as the pillar, the pillar of all that is good. Think about what he just said in Romans chapter 7. The good that I long to do, I don't do. And, and I know there's debates about w exactly from which position he may be, be saying it, but I don't care what position he's saying it from. We've all known it to be true at one time or another in our lives. He's saying the good that I long to do, I don't do, but that which I don't want to do, I end up doing most times. And then you have Romans chapter 8 as the grand encouragement. But that is not the ultimate reality for me. The ultimate reality for me is I'm no longer condemned. 
I have been made new. And the Holy Spirit features very prominently all throughout chapter 8. It is the Holy Spirit by which we even can utter the words, Abba, Father. Which is such a sweet and wonderful way to say, Daddy. And so, here, he is giving a particular set of encouragement when it comes to this issue of prayer. Because he knows the days are going to grow long, and he knows that the days are going to be hard, and he knows that they are going to grow incredibly discouraged at times. And he's wanting to give them the single greatest truth that he could grant them in the midst of this. And the same is seeking to be granted to us. So, if you would, let's uh, turn to God's word this morning and hear God's word. This is uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 26. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Now, let me pause for just a second. And the reason that he's using the term likewise there is he's saying that in the same way that hope helps us in the midst of a world that has fallen and broken and as our own spirits are longing to be glorified and set free, as even creation groans to see that happen in the same way, in the same way that hope serves us in the midst of a fallen world, the Holy Spirit serves us. And the Holy Spirit serves us in a very unique way. He serves us where? In our weakness. I don't know about you, but if you've lived long enough and you've sinned as much as I have, you know the depths of weakness. And you know that there are moments when you, you don't have anything you feel like to give to God at all. And you know that there are times when you don't feel like worshiping and you don't feel like being kind and you don't feel like one more time getting up and trying to be the Christian that you know you're not in the first place. You know weakness, right? And there's many times that weakness is utterly overwhelming to us. And just think about how beautiful this statement that the Lord, likewise, the Spirit, helps us in our weakness. Any of you parents... You ever known a moment of weakness? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Any of you work a job? You ever known a moment of weakness? Any of you married? Have you ever known a moment of great weakness? And so there are times when we are just utterly overwhelmed, and this, this stands as a great truth and help to us, which is one of the reasons that I have pushed so hard for us at Christ Community Church to be Trinitarian in our worship. Far too often we are guilty of jettisoning the Holy Spirit because we're afraid he'll get loose and do some crazy stuff, set some stuff on fire, who knows. But, you know, I mean, so, and so what I hate is that I think we've robbed ourselves of something very important, something very beautiful that Paul is granting to them. And think about where he's granting it to them. Right before he's going to say some of the hardest words he'll ever say to any church anywhere, Romans 9 through 11. So he's saying, in your weakness, the Spirit is given to you. And listen at what he says. He's going to describe this weakness a little bit. He's going to say, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. You ever been in a place where you had no idea which way to pray? It could go either way. Like, for instance, if you've ever been to the hospital and you knew that someone was dying. If you're wise, you want to be very careful. If you're like me, you don't want to get left holding the bag, so you don't want to go in there and name it and claim it and say that, you know, get up out of that bed, get your tail running up and down the hall because Jesus is Lord. And the respirator continues to go, right? I mean, so, so which way should we pray? And then there's part of me that I know that Jesus is Lord, and I know that he's the healer of all, and that if he wanted that person to get up and run up and down the hall to his glory, he would. 
But I gotta be honest with you, there are times as I stand there, I don't know which way to pray. And I'll oftentimes leave the trap door open just in case. I remember one time in particular, um, there was a lady um, in our church, and I may have mentioned her before, but her husband left her for another woman. And she didn't divorce him. She remained faithful. She had a son who had dyslexia. And it was very hard on her to be a single mom because she was a nurse at Delta. And her husband was an addict. And so he overdosed one day and overdosed such that all of his interior exploded in a sense and his belly was distended. So the woman that he left his wife for did this. She did not take him to the hospital. She dumped him on the front stairs of his old home for his wife to find him when she got home. She has no idea how long he was there. So she takes him to the hospital, and of course, he's in ICU, and the outcome is dreadful. And I remember Susan called me. I was on the way back from Dahlonega, and I stopped by to see him at Southern Regional Hospital. I remember walking into the room thinking, what in the world am I about to say? I said the most honest thing I could to her. I said, I have no idea what to say to you, and I don't even know what to pray for right now. But I love you, and I know that God is bigger than all this, and somehow, some way." It'll work for his good and glory. And she received that, and she didn't tell me, shut up and get out, so that was good. And so, uh, so it's hard sometimes, isn't it? We, we, we don't. We don't know what to pray for, what we ought. Think about this church and even the land. I mean, you know, we've had to pray, Lord, do you want us to keep the land and build a beautiful building in this great place and be a shining light in the middle of the city? Do you, or do you want us to sell it? What do, what do you want us to do? We haven't known exactly which way to pray. Um, and there's many things like that that we could catalog. Think about your children. Susan and I have wrestled with this often um, in wanting our children not to suffer. But for those of you who've lived for a while, isn't it the suffering that sometimes brings them home? So I don't know how to pray some days. And Scripture doesn't lie to us. It says you're going to have days where you don't even know what to pray for. You don't even know how to assess the magnitude of God's goodness. You don't know how to assess his sovereignty. You don't know how to assess his moving. You don't know which way to go. And beautifully it says this. Uh, you know, a lot of people make a big deal out of anytime you see the word but, it's always, it always tends to be good, especially when there's a member of the Trinity afterwards. It says, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings that are even too deep for words. Praise God that what we know to be painfully true, our weakness and our utter inability to pray in a manner that is, that is worthy of the great God of the universe or that is worthy of, of anything beyond our selfishness, praise God that there is a someone who can intercede for us who has the power that the Holy Spirit does who has the ability to know what the Spirit knows, to be able to see what the Spirit can see and what we cannot see, that member steps in and intercedes for us. It shouldn't be lost on us that this one of great power is available and steps in and says, I know Cameron has no earthly idea what to say here, and I know that what he's saying is probably just babbling and nonsense before the throne, but Lord, let me, let me take it from here. Spirit does that for us. What a beautiful thing that he does that. And then it goes on, verse 27, it says, And he searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Now, why is that important? What if the Spirit, who has the power that he has, this is all 
conjecture, but what if he went rogue? What if with all that power he decided, no, I want to pray for my kingdom. I, the Spirit, want to do what Jesus didn't do, which is take Satan's wager. Now, we know that he can't because he's of the same essence, and that's the good news, right? That they are all on the same page. It is the will of God that holds all of this together. And let me ask you, what is the will of God? We've talked about this in here. Maybe you don't remember. (laughs) His will is that he would be glorified through the redemption and reconciliation of his children. That is his will. And if you, Christian, don't remember that, if you let that get lost in translation somewhere, you will suffer and get confused and you will struggle. But here's the good news, that the Holy Spirit, according to that great and magnificent and glorious will, steps in knowing all that he knows. He can see into every dark crevice. He can see into every actual aspect of your being. And he can utter what is too deep for words, what is utter groaning. That should be great news to you and I who have experienced the depths of woe who have had questions that were too deep, that you were even scared to utter about God, right? I mean, many of us have been there that we had things on our heart and on our lips that we were afraid if we were to speak them, they would instantly be blasphemy and cause us to be caught, (laughs) cause us to catch fire. And yet the Spirit takes even that and conforms it into the image so that it would glorify the Lord your God. Now, you may say, well, Cameron, I think you probably just encouraged us not even more about praying. Sounds to me like you just set all us free. We don't have to worry about that nonsense. No. Actually, my hope is that it would encourage you to pray even more, knowing that there is the Spirit working on your behalf and working in and through you, that it would actually help your praying conform more and more to the image and the will of God. That you would long for what God longs for. One of the problems is that too much of our prayer is selfish. Too much of our prayer is utterly uh, unconcerned with others. Really. Too much of our prayer is thankless. It's all just, God give me, give me, give me, instead of recognizing what he has already given in total. Too much of our prayer tries to be way, way, way too theological. I know that sounds weird. There's a great story, and I don't agree with everything D.L. Moody did or said, so I don't want any emails, but he did this one great thing at least. There was a guy who had been asked to pray, and he got up there, and he was just going on and on and just making a big show out of the prayer and, and just going, oh, most magnificent heavenly creator of Pluto and Saturn and Uranus and all that kind of stuff. And so D.L. Moody went up and just tapped him and said, why don't you just ask him for something to sit down? Now, you may agree or disagree with that, but I tend to agree with it in that moment. And so there are times when I think we are so worried about precision as, and it keeps us from praying at all. Whereas this should actually set us free to recognize that it is not about you getting it all precisely right. There is one who will. And that you have the freedom to go boldly before the throne of grace because what Christ has done for you And you have the ability to stand before your Abba Father and cry out or rejoice or celebrate or ask or thank. All of it is available to you. 
because of what the Spirit is doing on our behalf. And think about how this affects us as a church. You know, there's oftentimes the difference between better and best, right? I mean, there's a, a lot of different things we could do that, that would be considered better and best. And we know we have this great, um, this, this member of the Trinity who prays on our behalf and helps to lead and to guide us. We did this great exercise. I taught the third through fifth grade boys this morning. And um, I haven't gotten the reviews yet, but I think I've been fired from that class. And so, uh, <laughs> so one of the things that we did is we had these mazes, and uh, we had them, well, the first set is we had to, you know, they had to cover their eyes, so they couldn't see which way to go. And we had just the rest of the class just yelling out instructions. And it was amazing, the star that got drawn that never made it to the end of the maze. And so, you know, we, the point of that was when there's a, just a myriad of voices calling out for different things, better and best, you really don't get anywhere. And then we had a situation where Philip Lucas um, played the part of the devil, and he led the person drastically astray, and they wound up completely out of the maze, lost, and off the paper just about. And so what we learned from that is sometimes there's a voice that leads you completely and utterly astray, so it's important that you know the voice. And then I stepped in and took the young man's hand and in six seconds guided him through the maze. And that is what the Spirit is doing for us in essence, because we are flying blind, aren't we? Most of the time, if we're honest, we're flying blind. And the Lord is, is uh, oftentimes not always forthright in telling us the whole story. There was a point in my life where I described it like this, and this is not a reference to the Matrix, by the way. Um, but there was a door, and I would open the door because the Lord told me to go through the door, and then there was a hallway and another door. And my job was to stand in the hall till the door got chosen, right? And it just felt like this weird, you just feel like you're, going through life and stops and starts and it's not really being played out all the way, right? And so the good news is, is that we have one who guides us. We have one who knows all of the doors and all of the directions and all we need to do is, 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 is patiently and worshipfully continue to follow. And this is true even in our prayer lives. I love what Francis Schaeffer says. This is from the finished work of Christ, the truth of Romans 1 through 8. He says, well might the sun grow dark or the universe turn into chaos. But this one thing you can know for sure. The Holy Spirit is interceding before God's throne on your behalf. And he will not fail in his work of intercession. Did you hear that? All might sink into the depths of the sea. All might blow apart. But here's the thing that you can cling to no matter what. That as the Holy Spirit intercedes for you, his intercession faileth not. How many of you ever, I've never even thought about that, I'll be honest with you. And maybe you're a better Christian than I am, and maybe you should probably take the pulpit if that's the case. But, you know, I mean, I've just never thought about the work of the Holy Spirit in the way that it has been presented here. And what a glorious thing that the, as the Spirit intercedes, that work is perfect, just like the rest of the members of the Trinity, their work is perfect. And if he's interceding, it won't fail. So, if we know that God's will for his children is to redeem, and his will for his children is that they would be glorified in him and in him alone, what comfort do you find in knowing that the, the Spirit is working to accomplish this reality? Do you even think about the Spirit much? If you don't, you should. We all need to grow in this. 
Let's look at verses 28 through 30 because they're critical in helping us understand the gravity of what the Spirit is doing. Hear God's word again. And it says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, we could sum up what was just said in, in this way. We could say that God is sovereign and that that which he begins, he sees through to the finish. And what's critical about that is that the Spirit is intimately and critically involved in that process, which is why Paul links together these ideas. If you see how it's flowing, he's basically just told us that in the moments that you're the weakest and you don't even know what you ought to pray for, the Spirit is interceding for you. The Spirit is uttering things too deep for you to even know, and it is all according to God's will. And here's the great news. That all that you don't understand, that all that has wounded you, that all that you thought you messed up beyond all recognition, that all that you can't even get your mind around is promised to work for the good of those who love him. Now, here's the critical piece of that puzzle, because this is a, this is a trap verse, isn't it? This is a verse that I have heard abused and misused and so often, and I'm not going to say that, I'm not even going to pretend to say that I'm going to solve it in the next five minutes because I'm not. There's a mystery here that I can't even get my head around, but here's what I do know about the way the text is flowing. That the good that he's speaking of is this. Notice how, it's, how, how it flows. The good is this, is that you would be further transformed into the image of Christ. That is the highest good, is that you would be further transformed into the image of Christ, which means, if you know the rest of Scripture, that suffering is oftentimes a part of that. And the beauty is that in the midst of that suffering is that you have a helper, a paraclete, one who comes alongside to pray what you can't even pray, to guide where you don't even know where to go. And the even greater news is that that which God began in you, that which he determined before all of time even began, I, my mind's blown, I get it, I don't even know where to start on that, but I'm glad it's true that he would see it all the way through to the finish. That glorification would have the final say. And you may say, well, I'll go on it. I mean, that just, that brings up more questions than answers. Well, maybe, but that's not the point of the text now, is it? See, oftentimes we approach things wrongly, and oftentimes we ask philosophical questions of theological issues. We've talked about this in here before. And oftentimes we ask the wrong question because we forgot the starting point. If your starting point is your recognition that you are weak and you don't even know what you ought to pray for, then what in the world would make you think that you need to take over some aspect of things and see it through to the end given your weakness and your blindness. Remember, he's, t he's talking to Christians. And why would you get upset that there would be one who would intersect that weakness and that inability to have the right oughtness even in our prayers? Why would it upset you that he would step in and make sure that you arrived at the destination that he had determined for you? Why would that bother you? And if it bothers you that there might be somebody else who doesn't know that, why wouldn't your lives look more missional than they do? 
if we so care about the Aborigines and we so care about some lost tribe in the Amazon, where's your plane ticket? I know that's hard and that was mean of me to do and I get it. But isn't it true? But here's the good news. If not for predestination, the Aborigines that you ain't going to fly and go see, what hope do they have? If not for the love of God for, for, for those who are marginalized and don't have a chance, our weakness and our inability to do what we're supposed to do, if, if that's not true, they're in trouble. But I'm glad it is true, and it doesn't take away from us. It doesn't make us not be missional. In fact, it means that that which we would engage in missionally would be far more successful, right? It guarantees something that we can't guarantee. And praise God. But remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to people who are divided and are suffering and are confused. And so, there's a great quote by Robert Mounts in that, and it, it, again, it reorients us. The good that is being spoken of here is not necessarily what we think is best. That, that's where we kind of derail the verse. Oftentimes, the good that we want is what we think is best. But it, that's not what's being spoken of here. But it is, a, it is the following verse that implies that the good is conformity to the likeness of Christ. We can never forget that. The whole point of the rest of the story for us is to be conformed into the image of Christ, is to be transformed into that image. And the Spirit is an absolute, intimate, and critical piece of that. He goes on to say, With this in mind, it is easier to see how our difficulties are part of God's total plan for changing us from what we are by nature to what he intends us to be. And it's also, John Murray says this, he says, God's love is not a passive emotion. It is an active volition, and it moves determinatively to nothing less than the highest goal for his adopted children, conformity to the image of his only begotten son. Think about this for a second. How can those who are adopted look anything like the natural born or the only begotten son if not for some supernatural working, which is the work of the Spirit? How could we ever come to look anything like Christ on our own? We couldn't. I can't, I can't put myself through some of the stuff I've been put through and seen the good on the other side. I would avoid it every single time. So what are some of the difficult circumstances in your life that God has used to further shape you into the image of Christ for your good? This is a critical thing. Remembrance is, a, is an absolute critical aspect of the Christian life. And we're not very good at it sometimes. And in fact, we should, it's one of the things, if you, if you keep up with the Old Testament at all or you, you pay attention to the New Testament at all, there's constantly a call to remember. Remember when the Lord delivered you through the Red Sea. Remember when the Lord made your shoes not wear out in the wilderness wanderings. Remember when you were hungry and he provided manna and quail. Remember. And here, again, we have an opportunity to remember, to, for us to also look and see how Romans 8.28 is so powerfully true, but because of 26 and 27. And remember also, what was your prayer life like during those times? What did it look like for you? For some of you, it is when your prayer life actually heightened and grew. For some of you, it was when you retreated and you had no words to say. But for both of you, it worked out to the good, for the good that God had intended to transform you into the image of Christ. 
Because think about it, if it depended on how you prayed as to how it would turn out, what would you think the outcome would be based on what you know about you? So, and did you, in the midst of all that, did you ever consider the Spirit's intercession on your behalf? I gotta be honest, I've n- I never have. It has never been that, it has never been the balm of Gilead for me that it should have been, that it is and hopefully will be going forward. My challenge to all of us is don't worry about what you didn't get right in the past, but let's think through and try to grow in what we will know for the future. Because chances are life ain't going to be perfect from here. There's going to be some tough things that all of us encounter for any number of reasons. And how sweet would it be for us to remember the intercession of the Spirit during those times? How how encouraging would it be to us to know that the the, the, the Holy Spirit in God's will is praying before the very throne of God for us? Praying that we would be transformed further into the image. So what do we do with this? How do we apply this? Well, we need to remember that the Holy Spirit interceding on our behalf um, means that there are times when we are going to be too weak to pray. We're going to be even too weak to know what we ought to do. And there are going to be times when we don't even know what to pray. And in those times, we need to remember that the Spirit intercedes. Amen? And it also means if the Holy Spirit is interceding on our behalf, it also means that God in His sovereign and loving provision provides the Spirit for our redemptive needs. That's according to His will. Remember, if His will was to destroy you, He can do that in a flash. He's not just stringing us along because He's malevolent and wicked and strange. No, it continues to go on because He wants the family to grow larger. It continues to go on because He wants to further transform us into the image of Christ. And he provides exactly what it is we need in the power of the Spirit during that. And the fact that the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf in prayer also means that God will bring to glorious fulfillment the good work that he started into in his children according to his will and his promise. Let me ask you this. If you're honest, this is a rhetorical question, so just answer it in your heart. Have you ever, as a Christian, lost your way? Have you ever lost your way as a Christian? How'd you find it back? Again, that would be something for you to meditate on long this Lord's Day and to celebrate all that God did in the midst of that you getting lost and then you being found again, not salvifically because you were already a Christian. Christians do lose their way, by the way, and it doesn't mean they've lost their salvation because if that were true, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. So listen to what Douglas Moo says about this entire chapter. He says, we must not lose sight of Paul's main point, namely to assure believers that God has a plan, that he is unfolding, one that provides fully for our future glory. He wants us to come away from this text, not with theological questions, but with a renewed sense of assurance that the God who began a good work in us will indeed bring it to completion in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, so often our questions actually, and I'm not against questions if you know me at all. I'm big into philosophy. I was thoroughly postmodern at one time. I love to hash through stuff. I love big questions. I love all that stuff. But what I have discovered is that sometimes there's something underneath the question, something far more insidious. 
And really what I'm trying to do is prove that God is not God and that maybe I am. Or that if he's not God, I can go and do all the things that my wicked heart desires without guilt or shame. Instead of recognizing that what Christ has done for me has delivered me from guilt and shame and has set me free to be able to take great joy in the God who is now my Abba Father, in whom I can cry out in the power of the Holy Spirit even when I don't know how. That is beautiful. And too often my questions belie something darker. And again, I don't want us to not ask questions. And I don't want not, us to not wrestle with things. And even God doesn't want that because he tolerated Habakkuk and Job and even Jesus who said, may this cup pass from me. That was a question, you know. And it wasn't just for show. And the other question, why have you forsaken me, was not for show. And so, how might this truth about the Holy Spirit and his intercession according to God's great plan, affect you in future situations. Where, where you find yourself struggling to pray, where you find yourself s- struggling to find any good purpose in it. How, how might this change you? How might this comfort you? How might this help you get through? So as we close out of the sermon this morning, um, we have a beautiful opportunity to respond. We have the Lord's Supper here this morning. And, uh, and, and, and this is a, a great example of not only Christ's intercession for us, but the Holy Spirit's intercession for us. Do, do you know what's happening when we take the elements? Well, let me tell you what's not happening. It's not turning into Christ's body and blood. There's nothing that supernaturally happens to the little styrofoam wafer. I don't know that it's styrofoam. I hope it's not styrofoam. That wouldn't be healthy. <laughs> <laughs> little styrofoam wafer. Um, that reminds us of a greater meal to come, I guess, and the, and the juice, they don't, they don't magically turn into anything. But it's also, let me tell you, that it's also not just mere memorial. It's not just a styrofoam wafer uh, in the sense that it is representative and signs and signifies and seals something deeper. Um, it actually is, is something very powerful that the, the Spirit is very involved in. When we participate in the Lord's table, the Spirit is essentially um, strengthening, nourishing, and building up our faith for the purpose of worship and mission. And so many of you are going to come to the table this morning and you may realize, I, I don't think I prepared like I ought. I don't, I, don't think I, I don't think I confess near enough sins before I can take this this morning. Let me, let, me, let me assure you of something. If you needed to confess every sin you were guilty of before you came to the table, we would be waiting, Jesus would come back just to put an end to it. And, and so you're never going to confess it all. But what you do need to confess is your need. And what you do need to recognize is that you also need the Spirit to intercede to actually make something happen here. And as Calvin would say, it, he is actually lifting us up before the very throne of Christ. Now you may say, I've eaten that wafer and drank that juice and I feel like I went anywhere. That's the supernatural part. That's the part that's happening within your soul and in your spirit. And my, my prayer is that we could richly dine this day in light of this truth that we could celebrate the greatness of this table knowing that not just has Christ been provided for us, but the Spirit himself has been provided. And that as we take, we would celebrate all of the goodness that God has given us and granted to us in our salvation in Christ. 
For those of you who don't know Christ as Savior, I, I, don't, want you to, I don't want you to touch this table because there's better lunch coming than the little styrofoam wafer and that other stuff. And I don't want you to be confused about um, what is actually deep and good. And when you need it the most, I don't want you to not be able to, 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 to receive it because you've cheapened it and you've made it something that is not um, worthwhile. If for some reason... God in his great grace has placed you under discipline in a local church of any kind and that has not been reconciled. You don't need to take of this table either. That needs to be resolved first. And it is a means of grace for you to let the elements pass you by because it reminds you of the goodness um, that you will receive as that process plays out in God's grace. And if I know there are a lot of our children who are, would love to be able to take communion. And what I want to say to you is in January... We're going to begin to address our, our, our children's membership. And so I hate that the elements have to pass you by this day, but it just takes a little bit of time. And so as they pass you by, what I want you to do is long for what it is you're going to get to have very, very soon with your family. And so the other person who should withhold from taking the elements is the one, and we're going to read the institution, but I'm just, I'm, I want to prepare you so you can be thinking about this. But the other person that should let the elements pass by is the one who doesn't understand the breadth of forgiveness in that they are withholding forgiveness from someone else. If you have an ongoing issue with someone, if you have a, a brother or sister with whom you have an issue and it has yet to be reconciled, let the elements pass you by as evidence of hopefully what will happen very, very soon for you, that you would be reconciled so that you could again take. Now you may say, well, I'd rather take and hope that it works out. No, you, you don't want to take, Paul made it very clear, and we're going to see that in 1 Corinthians 11. You don't want to take of the elements holding something against someone else because that means that you don't understand all that has been purchased for you. And again, I don't want you to conflate or confuse that which is such a deep and rich blessing. Amen? So, um, I'm going to pray for us in just a second, and as we do this first song, hopefully you've prepared your hearts already, you knew it was coming, and you were sent an email that would have hopefully helped you to prepare your hearts, but we get just a few minutes, um, and I want you to be thinking through these things and considering your own heart, and then we'll, we'll walk through taking communion together as a family. Um, and for those of you, if you haven't been with us before, how it works is this. I'll come up and I'll give the words of institution, which is 1 Corinthians 11, and then we'll, we'll work through each of the elements, so you'll, be, the, you'll remain in your seats. The elements will come by, which is the wafer and the juice. You'll take the wafer first, and once everybody has received the wafer, we'll come back up. I will pray for it, and then we'll take it together as a family. And then the, the juice will come by. Um, and we'll do the same thing together as a family. So make sure that, and, and let me tell you why I know this, because I messed up. I ate mine first a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, I looked around, everybody still had theirs. I was like, I clearly don't know what I'm doing. And so, <laughs> so anyway, and I know I wasn't hungry, because it didn't, didn't do that. So just a couple of words of instruction. So uh, I'm going to pray. Josh will come up, and, and they'll do one song, and then we'll have communion together, okay? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you that you have granted the Holy Spirit to us to pray and groan and to um, examine and to lead and to guide and to convict um, for our greater good so that we would be transformed further into the image of Christ. I thank you that though it is often painful and though it often requires suffering, that we know that it works for the good for those of us who love you.
God, thank you that that which you started in us, you will see through to completion, that we will have the great joy of experiencing glorification at Christ's return, to which this table points. It points forward to the marriage supper of the Lamb, at which we will all dine as sons and daughters of the Most High God, celebrating and enjoying and, and recognizing the death of death and the end of all tears and the end of all suffering. This table points us forward to that, and I pray that it wouldn't for us today be just a mere memorial that it would be truly representative and supernatural in the working of the Holy Spirit as our faith is strengthened for the journey. God, thank you for being in our midst. Thank you for granting us this table. Thank you for granting us such a beautiful reminder. May we this day celebrate you. In Christ's name, amen.